Feldman, and this is Out of Line. We are here live, same time every Sunday on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM, flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights. We are coming to you from Spencer Studio, also known as the Wisden, uh, and that is because for going on two years now, the pandemic has forced us out of the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio. The pandemic, Spencer, this pandemic. I'm not even going to say uh, COVID protocol, although I would have gotten it right today. Um, joining me on the show, social media director, Spencer, the Wiz Ostrovsky. Nobody beats the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz. Uh, that is right. The Wiz not only has his own studio, but he has his own theme music as well. And social distancing back in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio is producer Chris Magnum Chapman, who aside from producing a number of shows at Lotus Broadcasting, is the locker room reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights radio network. This show is also streaming on the LV Sports Network, and you can watch the show on Facebook Live and YouTube. The page is called Out of Line. That's O-U-T-T-A-L-I-N. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at LV. And since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp. Studio line is 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. Tap brought to you by title sponsor Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you already own, Residential Bank Corp. is the company to turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp. Funding America one neighborhood at a time. Now offering $2,500 free to everyone and anyone who qualifies for a home purchase loan in the state of Nevada. Call 702-964-5720 for more information. On Tap. The Golden Knights are gearing up for a four-game road trip against some of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. Uh, the UW Running Rebels are getting ready to play their fourth game in eight days. Who will be the Raiders' next GM and head coach? We have some ideas. And yesterday's NFL Divisional Playoff games came down to game-winning field goals in which both number one seeds got bounced. And today's games on paper are as good of matchups as any on the same day in recent history. That's what's on tap. If you are looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own, choose a company you can trust. Residential Bank Corp. Funding America one neighbor at a time. And again, right now, Residential Bank Corp. is offering Nevada home buyers $2,500 towards closing costs for anyone and everyone who does qualify for any home financing program in the state. Call 702-964-5720 details and before we get into this spence how you been man i want to thank you magnum brian shapiro chris Wynn. y'all did a great job last week uh spent an hour talking about football i was on my deathbed again and uh i listened to the show but you guys did a good job man i appreciate y'all no it was really fun had a great time and uh you know nothing better than talking about football it's almost like a national holiday that just goes through the entire month uh, when it comes to the NFL playoffs, and we had a great time. You know, my favorite time of the year, Spencer, I think I've said this many times, my two favorite sporting events ever are the NFL playoffs. Like this weekend, divisional weekend, is my favorite weekend of the year. And, of course, I love March Madness, man, but I still love the NFL playoffs the best, my favorite sport. And maybe the jersey that I'm wearing, you see uh, Matthew Stafford today. We'll be talking about that a little bit. Obviously, I don't have a Matthew Stafford L.A. Rams jersey, but uh, when he played for the Lions, went 0-3 in 13, 12 years in the playoffs. So <laughs> with that, but go ahead, man, hit, uh, hit nightcap. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. 
It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knight. Highlights to interviews to special events. The puck starts here. Off to one. Feeds it. Theodore walking in. Jordan scores! Pretty damn good goal by Shave Theodore as we get into nightcap today to win the game. Big win against Montreal. They really needed that win to close out their long homestand. Have not been playing real well. Um, they've lost. They had lost three in a row going into that game, Spencer. And even after a six-day road trip or uh, six days off, one in five in their last six games, and that loss to Pittsburgh. To me, even though the Penguins are a really good hockey team this year and really have a shot, I mean they are playing some great hockey. You can't go up three to nothing and then give up five straight goals in the game. I, it's just not a good way to lose. So I really like them bouncing back against Montreal, winning the game in overtime, and especially with four big games coming up on the road. All the teams are playing the next four games will be against teams, as of right now, would be in the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. I think the best way to start this segment would be to go to Magnum because we finished last show. I kind of called out, um, you know, our goalie situation, saying that it was atrocious. Gave up three more goals in the last game against the Canadians, and you know, I was te I texted him. Or I think I tweeted him uh, in the game, uh, Magnum. I want to hear your answer on why Leonard is the actual goalie moving forward because right now he's given up like three goals a game. Well, the reality is I don't care about how many goals he gives up a game. What I care about is if the team wins. The reality of the situation is it's more than just the goals that he's been given up. The team in front of him defensively has not been very good. You look at the amount of high danger chances. Look, in that Penguins game, they had 15 high danger chances in the second period alone. That's unheard of from this team. Look, we will see how good Robin Leonard is when the Golden Knights get fully healthy and he's got a full complement of defenders in front of him. Look, a goalie is only as good as the team in front of him. I don't think he played particularly well against the Canadians. I thought he let in a couple goals that maybe he shouldn't have. But that's the one game where I will say, yeah, Robin Leonard didn't play good. I think it's hard to really look at him and say he's been the problem. The problem is they scored three goals in the first period against the Penguins and then they went to sleep. That's not on Robin Leonard. I mean, all you have to do is show up and you win that game in periods two and three. The Penguins were coming off of, this was their last game of a very long road trip. Uh, the Golden Knights went to sleep in that second period. Look, he gave up, what, two goals against uh, against Winnipeg? I mean, we could go through it here and we could say, look, maybe this, maybe he should have, maybe he shouldn't have. The other thing is, you look at the early part of this season when the Golden Knights we're missing Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, William Carlson. They were missing a ton of guys. They were one and four to start the season. Who was the guy who carried this team through that stretch, got them into first place? Goalie's not going to play out of his mind for 82 games. It's just not going to happen. Robin Leonard carried this team from the early part of the season when they really, really needed someone to step up and carry them into a position where they could even think about making the playoffs. He was phenomenal in October, November, and all the way up until mid-December. Yeah, he hit a rough patch, but it's not all on him. 
The defensemen in front of him have to be better, and that goes for 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 Brady McNabb. That goes for Shea Theodore. That goes for Alex Petrangelo, and they know it. They know they're not going to blame Leonard. They're going to take responsibility as well. Like I said, the Penguins game, you gave up 15 high-danger chances in one period. That's not Robin Leonard's fault. He's in the crease. He's not out there playing defense. He's not out there moving the puck through the zone. That's not his job. But when the guys in front of him don't do theirs, it makes it very, very difficult for Robin Leonard to do his. I agree with you on a lot of points because I do think Robin Leonard is the goalie for this team. I do think he has the capability to help carry them through the playoffs, be solid, make the great saves. He's proven that, and I agree with you at the beginning of the season as this team was hamstrung by injuries. Robin Leonard pulled through time and time again, and we have seen him make as good a saves as a goalie can possibly make. I think Brassois is a good, a good, admirable backup when he's healthy, and I think they can play well. But where I'm going to disagree agree with you to say a goalie is only as good as the players in front of him. Maybe that is true for the majority of the regular season, because like you said, nobody's going to stand on their head for 82 games. But Chris, the bottom line is goaltenders have carried their teams through the playoffs and a Stanley Cup champion. Jonathan Quick, probably one of the greatest examples of that as the LA Kings got into the playoffs on the last day of the season and went on to win the Stanley Cup. And it was all on the back of Jonathan Quick who carried that team. Goaltenders can do that in this sport better than any other. A goaltender literally can win you hockey games. So, Robin Leonard, as the season goes on, is going to have to shore it up a little bit, but I do think he has the capability to do it. He's proven it to us, and I think this guy could carry him through. Chris, you're right. Defensively, they have to shore up the defense. The Golden Knights are a team that is offensive-minded on the defensive end. Guys like Petrangelo, guys like Shea Theodore, they will put the puck in the net. And so occasionally you can get caught pinching in. But too many giveaways, getting outplayed in the neutral zone has hurt this team tremendously. And Chris, what's you know what's most alarming and satisfying is, number one, they play in the weakest division in the NHL, in the Pacific Division of the Western Conference. Right now, their 50 points leads that division by three points. However, if the Golden Knights were in the Eastern Conference right now, Chris, they would be on the outside of the playoffs looking in. That's pretty alarming. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the, you're all, you can only beat who who's on your schedule. And it's not the Golden Knights' fault that their division's not very good. Um, you know, I, I, I will say this about Leonard, and I'll be done. There is nothing that he has done in the playoffs the last two seasons to make me think that he would be an issue in the playoffs. He carried them because, remember, they they couldn't score against Dallas. They couldn't score against Vancouver in the bubble. They had problems against Minnesota. Robin Leonard was great. Matthias Yanmark with the hat trick in Game 7. He was great in the Colorado series. He wasn't the problem when they lost to Montreal. I think the team will be fine with Robin Leonard. As far as uh, the, the 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 division, look, I mean, the Golden Knights have have probably gone through more injuries this season and have had to deal with more in terms of that to their star players than any team in recent memory. I mean, the Tampa Bay Lightning last year they circumvented the system, keeping. Nikita Kucherov on on LTIR for the entire season because they had the capability to do it with their depth. The Golden Knights, the problem is they've had too many key players go out. And I'm not going to use the COVID excuse. Look, every team has dealt with that. That's not an issue. The injuries have been 
a problem. They lost William Carlson for for a, over a month. Max Pacioretty's been out for a long time. Alec Martinez has only played 11 games out of 41. Alec Martinez is probably the most underrated defenseman on the team. Uh, you know, look, the, the, the division's terrible. That's fine. The, the advantage the Golden Knights are going to have going forward is, first of all, COVID has kind of burned through a lot of the teams in the NHL. So a lot of the postponements, I don't think we're going to see as many going forward as we did in in the in December and, and early January. Um, but here's where the Golden Knights have that advantage. They only have to make up four games. There's teams that have to make up double-digit games. The season has not been pushed back to end later. Instead, they're going to try to finish the season on time and get in all these games that have been postponed basically between now and when the season ends in April. The Golden Knights only have to make up four games. That's not a lot compared to a lot of the other teams around them. Minnesota Wild, I think they have to go on a stretch where they play 44 games in 73 nights, something like that. That's unreal. There's a bunch of back-to-backs in there. Um, These teams are going to be beat up and burned out going into the playoffs. The Golden Knights, by virtue of playing in that weak division and by virtue of getting guys back, Mark Stone, he's in COVID protocol. He'll be back pretty soon. Alec Martinez, is, I, I believe he's traveling with the team on this East Coast road trip. Jack Eichel isn't too far away. Max Pacioretty was back on the ice this week skating with the team. I think they're they're going to be in a really good position going into the playoffs because, A, the division stinks, and they don't have to make up all those games and burn themselves out trying to fight for a playoff spot. I think they're going to be really, really primed to make a run once the season ends. And, look, if it doesn't happen, then you could look at whatever factor plays into it, but... You certainly won't be able to say it's because they didn't have the, the the rest and they weren't, you know, healthy and fresh going into the playoffs because barring something absolutely unforeseen, this team should have the rest. They should be fully healthy going into the playoffs. Chris, uh, you know, not to mention, again, this team at 44 seasons of existence, four playoff runs, and this looks like another one. I mean, this team just makes the playoffs, and they are accustomed to it, even though there's only a handful of guys remaining from year one. There are some really good season grizzled veterans on this team and if everyone does get healthy i would agree with you one of the people you mentioned chris jack eichel who everyone is excited about the buzz has been getting better uh pete DeBoer actually just came out about four days ago chris and said he's a month maybe two months away still a bit concerning considering we were thinking we're t- we were one to two weeks away and pete DeBoer just said he's a month to two months away it, how big concern is that I don't think it's a concern at all. Look, the, the 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 benefit to let's hypothetically say Jack Eichel is out for the next two months. That gives the Golden Knights two months more to play with their salary cap to become compliant for when he does come off the injured list and he does step into the lineup. I don't think it's a bad thing. You want this guy fully healthy. You want to make sure that he's fully healed. I mean, we heard maybe when he had the surgery, if if everything went well, Three months. I don't. The, the the guy was was going out to dinner the day he had the surgery. I mean, he had surgery on his neck, and he's going out to dinner with his parents. I don't. I don't think the 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 the, the long term. Look, obviously, I'm not a doctor. I don't know about neck surgeries. I don't know about recoveries. But I'm not too concerned about 
him not being there when they play Buffalo like we had kind of hoped. You know, I think that was wishful thinking on, on all of our parts. The reality is this team needs to be fully healthy. And in order to be a cup contender, you are going to need a fully healthy Jack Eichel because has, as we've seen the last two years in the playoffs, what they have is not enough offensively to win them a, a playoff, a, a, a conference final. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, is it concerning? No, I, I don't think it's concerning at all. I, I mean, if Pete DeBoer comes out and says, yeah, he's not going to be back until next year, then I have concerns. Him saying he may be out another two or three weeks more than what we had originally had hoped in best case scenario, that's not concerning at all. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not really concerned either. This team, one of the good things, too, is a lot of players that are we, we see playing down for the Henderson Silver Knights are getting intermittent playing time because of all these protocols, because of all the injuries, which makes the Golden Knights a very deep team as far as experience goes, which always bodes well in the playoffs. Jack Eichel, and again, you mentioned earlier, Kucherov of Tampa Bay out the entire season with his skill level being one of the best players and most prolific scorers in the game right now Kucherov came back and helped pretty much lead this team to their second consecutive Stanley Cup so again Jack Eichel that same type of player a grizzled season veteran that could miss the majority of the regular season and still come and, and even be MVP in the playoffs he has that kind of potential it's going to be huge Chris last thing on the Vegas Golden Knights this is a really big stretch of away games where they're playing a decent amount of them right now you know on the road uh four in a row right now on the road then they come back to play the the Buffalo Sabres we'll see Alex Tuck return to T-Mobile Arena but then they're back on the road after that for another couple of games you're talking about six of the next seven games on the road, and the majority of the teams that are playing, Chris, are all playoff bound at least at this point, starting tomorrow with the Washington Capitals in Washington. How big is this little stretch of road games to show where this team is at right now? Well, it's it's really big because it's their first time playing the Capitals in about two years. I'm obviously don't need to go into the history between those two teams. Carolina came into this building and they they absolutely smoked you. So that's a team that, that I think is a measuring stick because Carolina is a cup contender coming out of that Eastern Conference. Uh, then you head to Florida, which Pete DeVore kind of joked a couple days ago that he was coaching down in Florida and that was the, the part of the road trip where teams would they'd hit the beach for a couple of days and then they'd come in and they'd sweep the Panthers and the lightning. That's not the case anymore. These aren't your, your father's Florida Panthers. They're a really good team led by Sasha Barkov and Jonathan Huberdeau. They have some great goaltending. Sergei Bobrovsky seems to have resurrected his career because he's been playing really well. And then of course you go across the state to the two time defending cup champion, Tampa Bay lightning. They came in here. It was a great game. It was a fun game. That's one of those games that's another measuring stick. That's a team that you want to measure yourself against because they are they are the team to beat. And as far right now, I would still say they are the team to beat for the Stanley Cup until someone knocks them off their perch. I mean, it's not like they're one of those teams that that was built to make 
like like a, a former baseball team that played in the state of Florida where they would load up to make one run and then they would blow it up. The Tampa Bay Lightning haven't blown up anything. They still have the best goalie in the world in Andre Vasilevsky. They still have an outstanding team. Braden Point is 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 a superstar. Obviously, you mentioned Nikita Kucherov. Steve Stamkos is an all-star. Victor Hedman, maybe the best defenseman in the game. That team is loaded. They're still the best team in the NHL as far as I'm concerned. They're still the favorites to win the Cup, even though maybe Vegas doesn't have them. I don't know. I don't look at those at those odds. I can't really bet it, so I, I don't really look at it too much. But uh, the, the funny thing, Brian, is I may actually, as of now, I will actually be in Florida for that game on Thursday and then on Saturday night for the Lightning game. Um, you know, obviously plans can change with COVID and stuff, but as of right now, I, I'm going to be there on the road with the team. But this is a very important stretch of games. I'm not too worried about the 6-7 on the road because you come home for that Sabres game, and then you have the All-Star break. It's not like you're, you're playing seven straight or six out of seven on the road where you come home for a game and then two days later you're back out on the road. You're going to have a little pause in there before you head back out to the road. I think this four-game stretch right now, this will tell you, especially if the Golden Knights can get almost everyone back with the exception of Jack Eichel, you'll have a pretty good idea, I think, after this stretch on whether or not this team is a serious threat to beat those teams in a Stanley Cup playoff series. I agree 100%, Chris. Uh, looking forward to it. Nice for you to get to go down to Florida. Want to hop in your suitcase. But the cool thing is you mentioned the All-Star break. We'll talk more about that as you and I will both be there covering it for Fox, which I'm really excited about. I, one of the few things I haven't attended in my life is an NHL All-Star game, and especially with the format they have. Fast, wide-open hockey, round-robin. I love it. I'm actually really excited about that. It'll be really cool. Uh, talking about another of the local team, the local college team right now, UNLV, uh, Spencer, uh, Chris, both your alma maters. Um, this team, I don't want to say it's head-scratching. I mean, they did what they needed to do yesterday against San Jose State, winning 70-62. Bryce Hamilton, 30 points. He was one rebound shy of a double-double. He had nine. Royce, uh, uh, of course, Royce Ham Jr. gets 14 rebounds in that game. It's big. They don't have Donovan Williams, but uh, Gashan Gilbert gets his first shot, the 6'4 freshman who looks like a decent future of this team. Three and three right now in the Mountain West. When they play San Diego State tomorrow, that'll be eight, four games in eight days. That's a lot considering their schedule has been very sparse and delayed by COVID and everything. Where is this team at? I mean, Spencer, start with you. I want to hear from you as well, Chris. Are you guys, is this, are they where you expected them to be right now? They're 11 and eight, three and three in the conference. Are they where you expected them to be? Well, I mean, they are towards the bottom of the Mountain West. Uh, and there's been some really good teams in the Mountain West so far this season, kind of surprisingly. But there, there is a concern for me. Look, it's a better product than it has been in the past five years. The only unfortunate part about that is that it's about as low of a bar as you could possibly clear because they've been terrible for the past five years. So, yes, it's good that they're going in the right direction. But there's one thing as I look down the roster and I really looked at it one day. This is an old basketball team. Now, I say old. They're like, I'm older than all of them. But you know what I mean? In terms of college basketball, Bryce Hamilton scored 30 points yesterday, which is amazing. And we know he's that good. We know he could probably he's definitely going to be in the G League. He'll have a chance to make an NBA roster, especially with all this COVID stuff going on. He's going to get an opportunity someday to be on an NBA court to show what he's got. That's for sure. But he's a senior. You know, Royce Ham Jr. is a senior. I can't look at any person, a sophomore below on this basketball team that I could see scoring 20 points a game, let alone leading this team anywhere in the Mountain West Conference. Now, we know the situation that was brought in, you know, a new head coach, and he had to, like, figure things out. I think we're going to see another year next year where he's looking to the portal, praying that somebody's going to fill that role. So we'll have to see. 
So I'm in a weird in-between spot where I'm happy where the team is now, but knowing that the team is going to look drastically, drastically different next year. Mags, do you think, uh, I mean, I really like Kevin Kruger as a person. I like his passion. I know he desperately wants to restore some culture to UNLV basketball. What do you think of the job he's done so far? And is he the guy to move this program forward? Well, I'll be honest. I agree with a lot of what Spencer said. I mean, I think when you look at this roster, it's, yeah, it's not old, like in terms of like age wise, but in college experience, it, it, it is old. I think what we saw yesterday was a team that was tired because they played San Jose State on the road on Monday. Then they went to altitude and played a team that will run you into the ground and force you to play defense for 40 minutes in the Air Force Falcons. Yeah, not exactly the best team in the world, but Joe Scott makes those guys work, and he really makes you work to beat them. Um, Then yesterday, they they find out right before tip-off that Donovan Williams, their second-best player, isn't in there. What what, what kind of scares me a little bit, and it kind of alludes to what Spencer was saying, If you look at the results in that Air Force game, Donovan Williams showed up. Bryce Hamilton showed up. They only had 11 points combined from every other player on the roster in that loss to the Falcons of Air Force. They need scoring from other places. And outside of Donovan Williams and Bryce Hamilton, I don't know where they get it from. I think Jordan McCabe has been a huge disappointment. I don't know how how he comes from West Virginia and he's not able to score in the Mountain West. It, it, it doesn't. It's head scratching to me. Maybe there's something going on that we don't know about. To answer your question about Kevin Kruger, and and I think it's tough to analyze just based on what we've seen this season because outside of the Air Force game, they have been bang average. They haven't. They didn't lose to anyone they were supposed to beat. No, I'm sorry. They didn't beat anyone they were weren't supposed to beat. They beat all the bad teams on their schedule. They lost to all the good teams on their schedule. That's the definition of average. I think at some point you're going to have to get a win over a good team just to give some juice to the program. I don't know where it comes because I don't think they're going to beat Fresno. I don't think they certainly don't think they're winning tomorrow against San Jose or San Diego State. Boise's going to be tough. I, I I don't know, Brian. I mean, it's. It's hard for me to sit here and say that I'm optimistic about the direction that this program is going, and it's not a knock on Kevin Kruger. It's just that I don't see overall enthusiasm in the community about this team, and it's sad because the the the, the team was such the was was the lifeblood of this city for so long. But I think when you look at the way Vegas has changed on the Strip over the last thirty years, I mean the Mirage is going to no longer exist in the volcano is going to be torn down by the hard rock. I think there's a changing of the guard in terms of sports in this city as well. UNLV is no longer the team that was was the heartbeat of the city 25, 30 years ago because we now have the Raiders. We now have the Golden Knights. We're probably going to have MLS coming in in the next couple of years. UNLV has to do something to start building enthusiasm in the program again. I like Kevin Kruger. I hope he succeeds because obviously as an alum, there's nothing more prideful for me than to see the UNLV football and UNLV basketball team. Granted, I've had a lot more opportunity to be proud about the basketball team, but I look at what Marcus Arroyo did in the transfer portal. He landed a a, a top quarterback, you know, in Harrison Bailey. I think that's the kind of thing that Kevin Kruger is going to need to get next year. He's going to need to get a top 
player who enters the portal, a guy who is a four or five star player who can come in and just absolutely set the world on fire. I hope Harrison Bailey's that guy for UNLV because I I, I want to see the football program succeed maybe more than the basketball team just because I I, I want to see them shut up all the doubters and all the haters. I want to see the football team successful, but obviously I want to see the basketball team successful. The women's team is is, is is highly successful. You look at the job Lindy the Rock has done at UNLV. I don't know why it, the, the basketball team can't get back to where they were. My biggest fear is 10 years from now, UNLV is in the same conversation as Holy Cross, as LaSalle, as CCNY, as San Francisco, a team that has a banner hanging in their gym that says they won a national championship, but one that nobody cares about or nobody was even alive to remember. That's my fear for this program. And the the, the fact that they've just been so mediocre over the last decade, it really scares me that this is the direction the program could be heading in. Conference could easily, looking over the next week, turn to like, Three and seven in the conference, or three and eight in the conference, something we all need to be concerned about. Uh, real quick, guys, turning over to the Las Vegas Raiders, finished their season last week. I know you guys spent a lot of time talking about the games last week. Very proud of this Las Vegas Raiders team. I, I thought nine games was out of the question, let alone 10 wins in the regular season. Playing Cincinnati right down to the wire, and we see how good Cincinnati is. We'll talk about them in a minute, getting to the AFC Championship game. But you like what you saw, but yet no matter how good of a job Rich Passaccia did pulling this team together and, and going two games over 500 when he took over for John Gruden after the you know week six debacle and the text and all that when they were the investigation of the Washington football team. But Passaccia did a really good job. I do believe he deserves a chance, but obviously with the firing of Mike Mayock, you're going to bring in a different GM. You're going to bring in a head coach. And you know the GM position, as far as it goes, they, they've been interviewing a lot of people. Friday, they did former Bengal scout Trey Brown – uh, became the third to interview with the team. The previous interviews have been with Bears assistant director of player personnel, Champ Kelly, and Patriots director of player personnel, Dave Ziegler. Um, also, the Raiders are expected to put in a request to interview Colts vice president of player personnel, Ed Dobbs, who already backed out of the Chicago Bears GM coaching or general manager job. That's a lot of candidates for a general manager. And obviously they're waiting to get the GM in place to hire the head coach. Um, the only head coaching prospect they've talked to so far, they talked to Jared Mayo, who's a linebacker coach of the Patriots, and they've given Versace an interview as well. I don't think either one of those guys are getting the job. It seems like the guy that's getting the job is Jim Harbaugh. Haven't interviewed him yet, but he has definitely not declined that his interest in the Raiders. And I know that Mark Davis is interested in Jim Harbaugh. So it's like they want to put the general manager in place, but they're not going to let him hire who he wants. I think unless he comes in with a real strong case for somebody else, um, Spence, it's going to be Jim Harbaugh is going to be the next head coach. I'm not sure who the GM is going to be. I do have a feeling that they really do want um, Ed Dobbs from Indianapolis. I think they've been waiting on co him. And I, I got a feeling he may be the next general manager, but I'm almost willing to bet you right now it's going to be Jim Harbaugh, the head coach of the Raiders. I've heard two other names, actually, and I think they've interviewed them or they've requested an interview. And one of them I was actually really excited about.
especially after watching last night's game, which we're going to get into. And that's the defensive coordinator for the 49ers, D'Amico Ryans. I mean, after looking at a game plan against that, where you see Devontae Adams, have a, they have a great first drive, and then they just fix it. And that's what we know coaching is so much about. You know, you can game plan, you can game plan. But once you get on the field and you see something that changes, you know, it's a different story. And he adjusted, and they shut them down for the rest of that game. So that would be a really interesting prospect. Um, he's a big name. The other one that I've heard is the offensive coordinator for the uh, the Patriots, uh, Josh McDaniels, I'm pretty sure his name is. We all know the fiasco he had with the Colts where he got hired by them and then he backed out in the last second. I don't his, want him here. Yeah, and his name hasn't been uh, mentioned at the head coaching until this offseason. So maybe you don't want a guy like that at your franchise. But there's a lot of names running around. And at first, like for a long time, I was really big on Rich Bisaccia because, you know, Look what he did. He brought us to the playoffs for the first time since I was a kid. Now they went, you know, in 2016, but we all know the circumstances of that. It was the first time since I was five years old that they had a chance to win a playoff game. And, you know, Rich got him there. No doubt about it. Through all, you know, thick and thin. I talked about this last week, but you got to think about something like the Atlanta Hawks situation where Nate McMillan took over and they went all the way to the conference finals. And now this year they're trying to make the playoffs, the Atlanta Hawks I'm talking about. So maybe that energy dissipates and also, Rich Passacci uh, has no head coaching experience. This was his first time. So there's a lot of uh, factors in there. Harbaugh, I'm not too hot on. I mean, it just doesn't sound too exciting to me. It's just yeah, he's been mediocre. In All the fans football. will be wearing plaid pants. So I, I don't know. But, you know, I, I'm le I'm actually leaning towards uh, D'Amico at this point, seeing what the 49ers have been able to do defensively. Um, and especially if you get to keep Gus uh, Braden. Uh, I can't think of his name. Gus, the defensive coordinator for the Raiders now. I think if you put those two minds together, you can see something special, you know, in Las Vegas moving forward. Could be. I mean, no question about it. The San Francisco 40 championship game. We'll talk about that uh, in a second. And matter of fact, why don't we talk about it right now, Spencer? Hit fact this. Facts this. If you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact this. Yeah, it's a fact that yesterday both conference number one seeds got bounced from the playoffs in the divisional round for the first time since 2010. This should not come as a big surprise to anyone out there. Um, starting with the, the, the first game, which was uh, Tennessee and Cincinnati. Cincinnati, uh, probably one of the most skilled teams in the National Football League. As far as we're seeing, uh, no question, Joe Burrow coming to his own this year after missing most of last year with a knee injury, uh, really playing great football. Jamar Chase turned out to be a great number one pick for this team. This guy's gonna already one of the best receivers in the National Football League as a rookie, probably rookie of the year this year. And then you've also got uh, T. Higgins, no slouch whatsoever. He'd be a number one on probably half the teams in the NFL. And Boyd is also really, really good. And then, of course, Joe Mixon offsetting your backfield and a pretty decent tight end. I like Cincinnati. There's no way I saw them getting by this game, Spencer. And for mainly one reason, and I thought it was going to be about the pressure of the front four for Tennessee one of the best front fours, if not the best front four, cumulatively in the National Football League. None of them are the best players at their position, but when you put all four of the defensive line, and you saw them yesterday, I think eight or nine sacks in that game yesterday. It was all about pressure. Again, they don't, they never had to count on the blicks because of the, you know, how good they are. Jeffrey Simmons, we saw how good this guy is, is dominant on the interior. He wins his matchups more times than not. You saw that yesterday, three sacks for him alone. Danico Autry, also, as good as it gets is his position. He is dominant. Um, 
And, uh, you know, what a huge get that was from them getting him from Indianapolis last year, Spencer. And then Harold Landry and Bud Dutchbree, just so disruptive. They did everything in their power for Tennessee to win this game. And Ryan Tannehill did everything in his power for Tennessee to lose this game, which ultimately is what happened. Even though they got King Henry back and he scored a touchdown, he didn't look in midseason form. But you could see if Derrick Henry would have gotten by that game, he would have been definitely a tough to deal with because all the pins and everything else in his foot didn't seem to bother him at all. It was Ryan Tannehill. This game hung on him, and every now and again, you could see a team with a really good defense can make a run as long as a very average quarterback doesn't cost his team games. In this case, man, Ryan Tannehill was garbage. He was never great at Miami, got hurt there, kind of rejuvenated his career in Tennessee. But what's made Tennessee so great over these past couple years is not Ryan Tannehill. It's Derrick Henry. You've got a hell of a receiver in A.J. Brown and that defense and especially the front four. Well, I mean, they tied an NFL playoff record for nine sacks in a single game. So obviously the defensive line did their part. And I've been a big, big, uh, you know, defender of Ryan Tannehill for the past like three years now. Kind of a big fan of him. Put him in the same category as Jimmy Garoppolo, as Derek Carr, and then, you know, Ryan Tannehill, obviously. Just those guys that are kind of gunslingers, but just seem to fall short in the most important moments. And there's actually a stark difference. I actually put Derek Carr, like, significantly above Ryan Tannehill after this game. Well, he made, like, he made some really bad mistakes in that game. And, you know, Derek Carr did too in his. But the difference is that they were playing from behind and Derek Carr, you know, threw an interception. But it was fourth and goal, right? Ryan Tannehill had the ball in his hands to potentially win the game. Not really. I mean, there is pressure. It's the playoffs. But, you know, you could just go into overtime and then see what happens. That, that's a You're big at difference. home. Overtime is in your benefit. You got the home crowd behind you, Spencer. That last pick was horrible to try to force the ball in there just trying to do too much, and he's not a quarterback that can. Yeah, he, he gets knocked down on my list. I put Jimmy Garoppolo and Derek Carr still on that same list. I thought Ryan Tannehill was there, but you can't make an interception at that time. And also, he had another interception in the red zone. Just thinking about everything, and also the one part of the game that drove me nuts in the beginning was when they went for two, at, and they ended up tying the game at 6-6. Six to six. Even if there's a penalty, you got to take the lead. You have to take points in the playoffs. The Chargers miss the playoffs because of this, this horrible mentality of you looking at your sheet. I've talked about this before, too, on, on different podcasts, in that I know there's a sheet that they have. In this situation, you go for this. But before you look at the sheet, use your common sense. Just think about it for a second. I know what the odds are, but... Taking a lead in the playoffs at home is so valuable. Mike Vrabel, that was a really bad call. But. It's, it's momentum, Spencer. You have the momentum. You just scored a touchdown. I understand the penalty gets you at the one-yard line, and I understand that you have you have Derrick Henry. I get all of those things, but Derrick Henry, again, was tentative on that play, which we saw. In my opinion, if you're going to do it, you just run Tannehill behind the center. I still didn't like it. Kick the extra point and take the lead. I like the two-point conversion. I love it. It's added excitement to football since they brought it back or brought it into the game, and I think it's an awesome way to get an extra an extra, extra point, so to speak. But when you are early in a game and you got a chance to take a lead at home, hell yes, because again, that is a momentum destroyer. All of a sudden, you went from about going into the lead to a tie game, and there is a big mental factor to that, man. I was, I, I was not, not appalled because I really do like how can you not like Vrabel as the head coach he has done a really really good job constructing this Tennessee Titans team but that was a huge coaching gaffe and coaching gaffes cost you games which is exactly not that that 
particular play cost them the game. They lost by three. But again, it was kind of a momentum shift. Cincinnati, instead of putting their heads down like, wow, we're tied, okay, it's just a brand new ball game. And so their two field goals came became meaningful. Huge, huge mistake. And that was a problem. Turning to the other game, Spencer, um, I can't say wow. I mean, you know, we knew going in Aaron Rodgers 0-3 against the uh, the 49ers in the playoffs. He's the only quarterback in NFL history to go 0-4 against the same team in the playoffs in his career. Uh, and, he, and and again, it's, it's San Francisco. They had the edge at special teams, even though both teams have been bad at special teams. Green Bay has been putrid. Block field goal, block punt in the same game. That can't happen, number one, at home. And number two, that defense of San Francisco. You know, I said the key to the game. I was on a, I was on Sports Byline with Rick Tittle earlier in the week, and we broke down all the games, and I said, you know, San Francisco has a chance to beat Green Bay, not just because of the history of them winning three times, because of this defense is so strong. Plus, Debo Samuels, an X-factor, is this guy is a freak and one of the best players, maybe the best offensive player in the National Football League. That's a bold statement, but look at how good he is. He'd be a starting running back on most teams, and he'd be the best receiver on most teams. That's a bold, you know, really big time. And again, he had a big game for the 49ers as far as getting them first downs when they needed, when they needed them and getting things going for that team. But, but again, this defense of San Francisco, what I said on Tittle's show was, if Nick Bosa and Fred Warner are both able to play, that is very dangerous for the Green Bay Packers. Nick Bosa is as good of an edge rusher as just about any in the any in league, just as good as his brother Joey, maybe slightly behind Aaron Donald, but right there with guys like Max Crosby of the Raiders. He's one of the best in his position. He is disruptive, and he did it continuously in that game against Aaron Rodgers. And then Fred Warner, he's the difference maker. He's the captain of this team. I was worried when I saw the ankle kind of get rolled up on last week and he got taken off the field. We didn't see well, we did see him again. But I was really concerned about it. But when I saw both those guys in the lineup, I'm like, man, if these guys are effective, it could be a long day for the Packers. And that's exactly what it was. Well, there's there's two parts to this. And obviously, you can you know point to the punt, the block punt, because that, cha- that physically changed the game to be a tied game. But you know, there's two drives that I, I really think about here. And there's also another outside factor about Aaron Rodgers. But the one that I think about the most is when the Packers are driving, they're in the red zone, and they took a three-point lead. But that drive in particular was everything I needed to know about the game. They were playing for the field goal at that point. There was a check down. I mean, they weren't trying to go for the the touchdown, which obviously if they had it, the game would have been over. Yep. You can't let these teams you know, hang around, especially teams that are playing really hard. And the 49ers, they're not just thinking that they're lucky to be here. No, they think they deserve to be there. It's not like one, a Bengals situation or the Raiders situation where they're like, hey, man, let's just see what happens. No, the 49ers believe they can win the Super Bowl. And if you give them the chance, Obviously, you see what can happen. And also, you know, at the, in the next drive, there's a couple penalties uh, for the Packers, and they had to punt the ball away, which gave them an opportunity, the 49ers, to win the game, which they did. You know, you got to give credit to Jimmy Garoppolo. Had some really bad pass in that game, but when they needed him the most, he got him in field goal range. And it was on his hands, obviously. They had one run play, but the rest, you know, was like Debo Samuel, who was amazing. And honestly, I, I think we all should have seen this coming, and I especially. I thought the Packers were going to go to the Super Bowl originally, but when I look at all the, the things surrounding Aaron Rodgers, he doesn't, the number one thing on his mind is not football. And when it comes to the playoffs, and you can ask Tom Brady this, there is nothing that guy, that guy's a psychopath. There's nothing that guy cares about more than winning a football game. Aaron Rodgers on an ESPN talking about politics and all this, which is fine. I don't really care about his political views one way or the other. Who cares? Everybody has their own opinion. 
But that just tells me he was not thinking about football that week, and you could see it on the field. He just looks disinterested. He thought they were going to coast to a win, and you know when you like, like I said, when you leave door, the door open, this is what happens. Well, Spencer, when it's zero degrees that far below freezing, football is a really tough game oh. to play. And Jimmy Garoppolo, although he played at Eastern Illinois, I think the coldest he's ever played in was like when he played against South Dakota, and it was like 33 degrees. Yeah. So this was a new experience for Jimmy Garoppolo. He handled it. But we all know who Jimmy G is, man. He's going to throw that bad interception. That is who Jimmy G is. And we know that at some point he did it in the first half again. But the one thing Jimmy G has, the X factor, is all this experience now. He played in the Super Bowl just two years ago. What killed them in the Super Bowl is running the football tremendously, and then all of a sudden they decided to let Jimmy G start throwing the ball in the fourth quarter. Hopefully they won't need to do that. With Elijah Mitchell, with Debo Samuels, this team can run the football and establish a running game. They've got really good skilled positions. Jimmy G just can't be asked to do too much. And as long as the defense leads the way, Special teams continues to play like they did against Green Bay, which is the best performance they've had all year. And again, Jimmy G remains serviceable, but doesn't have to do too much. The San Francisco 49ers, you're hearing it clearly, can not only get to the Super Bowl, they can win it. That's how good their defense have been. They have at, at positions. At the defensive line, we've already talked about Nick Bosa, one of the best in the game. Fred Warner is as good of a middle linebacker as any in football because he is the leader of a very stout defense. And on the back end, uh, you know, Jimmy Ward, man, played great in that game, returns kicks. This guy is dangerous. Too. Now Debo Samuels may be returning kicks and punts. These guys are really, really good defensive, defensively. And again, man, the oldest adage in the book, defense wins championship. The best defense left cumulatively might be the San Francisco 49ers. As good as L.A. and Tampa Bay, which we're going to talk in a minute, can play defensively, San Francisco's right there with them. And again, if you do what you said Aaron Rodgers did yesterday and you look past this team, guess what? They're going to go past you and move on to the Super Bowl. They cannot be taken lightly anymore. you got to pressure Jimmy G, but somehow you've got to stop the running game of San Francisco to make Jimmy G have to come into play. That's how you beat this team. And the teams left in the NFC and in the AFC can both stop the running game at times. So it's going to be really interesting. Real quick before we move on from the Spence, Aaron Rodgers, man, going to be the biggest story of the offseason. The Packers project to be about $44 million over next year's salary cap right now. Rodgers' cap number alone is $46.8 million. Devontae Adams is a free agent, and the Packers might have to make some cuts on defense to get under the cap. Rodgers said he does not want to be part of a rebuild if he does come back. Aaron Rodgers, 38 years old next year. Hey, he could retire. I don't think he will. I really don't. But he could retire. He could end up on another team, or he could end up with the Packers. What happens to Aaron Rodgers, Spence? Yeah, it's interesting. He reminds me a lot of Anthony Davis. Not in the health fact. We know Anthony Davis is like a lot of injury policy. But the fact that, in my mind, Aaron Rodgers is the greatest quarterback of all time, skill-wise. But Tom Brady is a much better quarterback than him because of the mental, you know, the mental part of the game. Well, I have no idea where his headspace is at. I think he's already checked out from Green Bay. I do not see him coming back at all. Um, but we'll see. I think he's going to come back maybe like the Broncos, you know, a team like that, a team that feels like a quarterback away. I don't know if he wants to face, you know, the, the Patrick Mahomes twice a year and have to fight in the division for that. But I don't think that's a big factor for him because he believes he's like the best quarterback in the world. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I don't know. This guy's is kind of a loser as, as far as I'm concerned. That's kind of how I feel about him right now. 
There's a there's a couple directions to go with Rodgers too because I I I don't know he might be damaged goods you know because if if he's damaged goods he he seems to be going on the world tour of I'm I'm being canceled but yet he may come back and have a chip on his shoulder so I I don't really know like what we're gonna get from him but I think it'll be interesting to see what what, what the story is with Rodgers. But that's a big statement, especially since the Niners are in the NFC Championship game and Jimmy G is their leader to this point. It's going to be interesting. They drafted Trey Lance early in the first round to be their, the heir apparent in the future of this team. I don't see that no, at all at this either. point. So don't be shocked if Jimmy G ends up – I mean, if uh, if Aaron Rodgers ends up a San Francisco 49ers fence. But talking about this week's games, um, you know, or I should say today's game, starting with the game um, with the Rams at Tampa Bay, noon today a couple hours after the show you and i are kind of psyched we're gonna sit down and watch the games together today but tampa bay is uh is seeking their uh consecutive nfc second nfc title game for the first time in their history okay they'll go to -to back-to-back title games which is pretty amazing um the rams beat them 34 24 in week three the bucks d allowed four passing touchdowns the most they gave up all season in that game but they weren't healthy they're healthy now. Tampa Bay is getting healthier, and especially in the defensive secondary, which is good. But if the Rams are going to win this game, they can't abandon the run. I'll tell you that right now. And one of the things, Spencer, I'm going to say it. I'm wearing a Matthew Stafford jersey. What I like, like most about the Rams, again, is their defense. Aaron Donald, to me, is still the best player in the National Football League, the most offensive, the most dependable uh, edge rusher in the game. Uh, you can never single team him. Aaron Donald has like 10 different ways he can beat you to get to the quarterback. That is going to be huge because Brady will be under duress today, which we've seen Tom Brady falter under duress in his career. So that's going to be interesting. But to me, the X factor in this game is Matthew Stafford because last week against the Cardinals, what no one is talking about is Matthew Stafford really hid in that game. He had decent numbers, not great. Most of his passing yards came in the fourth quarter. And let's be real, he was basically spotted a 21-point lead because of his defense and because of the running game of Cam Akers, who played really, really well in the running game, and Sony Michelle. They help out a great deal. They are going to have to be huge in this game. Yes, I understand. You know, OBJ is is definitely turning, getting in to be a part of this team. Cooper Cup, the best receiver in football this year, and Tyler Higby is probably a top seven or eight tight end in football right now. But Matthew Stafford, like Jimmy G, like Ryan Tannehill, is a guy that can kill you. I love the guy, the best quarterback the Detroit Lions have had in my lifetime, but 0-3 in the postseason before this year, and again, they won in spite of him in Arizona. Arizona played a, a really bad football game. Kyler Murray, the worst game of his career. So is Matthew Stafford going to be able to hide in this game against the Buccaneers like he was against Arizona? Well, I think saying in spite of Matthew Stafford is a little bit extreme. They just didn't need him as much as they probably... They didn't need him at all. Uh, well, we'll see. I mean, he definitely did ride the ship. I think he was 17 of 19. He had a good game. But there's an even bigger factor for me, and I think it literally comes down to this, like the entire game. We saw this in last year's Super Bowl. Heck, we saw it in the Rams' first game in the playoffs, and that's the defensive line. The center for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is out, and I believe Tristan Wirfs is too. And if he's playing, I can't imagine he's not going to be hobbled. So you saw what happened with Tampa Bay against the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl. If you don't have an offensive line, there is no game plan. It doesn't matter what you You're can right. scheme up, and they're going to dominate. And Tom Brady, as we all know, he ain't the most mobile quarterback of all time. So if they get to Tom Brady, 
I know he's like, I think he's the fastest in the league getting the ball out of his hand. So obviously they're going to be, you know, keying in on that. But if they're after him like that, there's no way the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to be in this game at all. Yeah, and, and, and they're depleted, missing Chris Godwin. I mean, you, Rob Gronkowski's going to have to have a great game. Mike yeah, Evans big. is going to have to have a great game. And like you said, Tom Brady's going to have to get the ball out of his hands maybe quicker than he ever has because Aaron Donald, McLennan, they're going to be coming. Von Miller. Von Miller, they are going to be coming. This team is designed to win this year. That's what they did. That's what they did when they went out and got Matthew Stafford, when they went out and got Von Miller. And I appreciate Was that. to win this year. We will see. It should be a hell of a game in Tampa Bay, but you were right, Spencer. The offensive line suspect. The center got hurt last week, and they're missing a tackle, and that may be their best offensive lineman. So it's going to be interesting. I, I really don't can't call this game. I think somehow Tom Brady and the magic of Tampa Bay, the game being at home, they'll find a way to pull it off. But, hey, if the Rams pull it off, we'll see Rams-San uh, Francisco part three next week. And can San Francisco, who's won six straight games against the Rams, keep that going and even beat them three times in one season, which is really, really tough. Spencer, with the last minute, we're just about of time. The biggest game of the weekend. You biggest got game uh, of the year. The biggest game of the year. <laughs> Buffalo at Kansas City. Both those quarterbacks, Josh Allen and uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes, absolutely tore it up last week in their prospective games. What do you see happening in this game? Well, hi. Hopefully, it's a good game, but it just feels like Josh Allen is on a like it's just a war. Like he's just going and he's not going to be stopped. I, I mean, we've seen the Chiefs falter a lot this season. It's really hard to beat a team like that twice in one year. I mean, even division rivals, you see that so much. So. Uh, it feels like you should. I should lean the Chiefs, but for some reason, I just feel like the Bills are going to win the Super Bowl. I don't know why. That's just my bold prediction. Could happen. Two, two point two to two and a half point favorites are the Kansas City Chiefs. Both games today should be absolutely excellent. I'm excited about it. Uh, first games at noon. That's the Bucks and the Rams, and then at three thirty, it's the Chiefs and the Tennessee Titans. Man, should both be great games. Listen, appreciate uh, both you and Magnum for uh, joining the show. Appreciate again, Chris Wynn, Brian Shapiro, all you guys for filling in on, for me last week. Week. This is Out of Line. We are here live on Fox Sports Radio every Sunday morning, 8 to 9. That's 98.9 FM and uh, 1340 AM. I'm Brian Feldman. Look forward to seeing you next week. Bye-bye.